Let's pray together. Lord, it is good to be with your people and to be in your house, to share the table, the elements of the table with them, to gaze at the goodness of our God, and that's where our eyes need to be. And Lord, I pray that your word would direct us there even now. I just pray, Father, that you would lead us through this passage and teach us these beautiful truths and grow us as your children. And for any here who may not know you, Lord, I pray that you would convince them of your love, convict them of how much you care for them. And Lord, change lives as only you can change. And and I pray for your enablement right now. Just enable me to preach your word as it deserves to be preached. And we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may have heard the story of the three older widows who lived together. One sister got up to go to bed, and halfway up the stairs, she stopped and asked, was I going up or coming down? Uh, The second sister replied with aggravation, you were going up to bed. And then the third sister headed into the kitchen to make herself a sandwich. And once in the kitchen, she hollered back, why did I come in here? The second sister, being really irritated now, said, you went in there to make yourself a sandwich. And then she added, I'm so glad I don't forget things like the two of you. And then she knocked on the end table. At that, she got up and walked over to the door and asked, who is it? (laughs) We all struggle with remembering things, whether it's an appointment that we were supposed to keep or or whether it's uh, something we were supposed to do, or maybe it was a special date or an anniversary. You blew it. You forgot about it. Well, when we forget things, it gets us in trouble. When we fail to remember things, it gets us in trouble, either with the boss or with our wives, but also with the Lord. When we forget things, it actually can get us in trouble spiritually. When we fail to remember, it can rob us of such blessed encouragement in our own walk with the Lord. And the communion table is a time of remembrance, encouraging us to remember the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. But there are other things that we need to remember as well about our God. And some of those things we see today in the book of Nehemiah chapter 9. And I encourage you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. And we're going to learn some truths that build up our faith. Some truths that we're going to see that encourage us in our walk and remind us of the greatness of our God. Because sometimes you and I can just get downright discouraged and disheartened with this life. It gets gets depressing. And we get so focused on us and our problem and that person and that situation. And God just wants to take your chin this morning and just lift it up and say, Child, will you look up to me? Will you just get your eyes on me? I need you to remember some things about me today. Now, as you turn there, understand the passage we're in is in the context of repentance. Last week, we saw the children of God, and as it were, they took the blue chip of repentance as we spoke, and they were broken, and they were humbled, and they were confessing their sins and their family sins and spending time in God's Word, and this time of sorrow and time of surrender then changed. As the spiritual leaders of the people, the Levites, encouraged those Israelites to look up to God. And they pointed them to God, and they pointed them to worship. And we learned a very important truth truth about repentance. Repentance is not all doom and gloom. Repentance 
isn't about beating yourself up over your sin and just rehashing it time and time again. Actually, healthy repentance ends with praise. Healthy repentance focuses on God and who He is. And and that's really where we pick it up today, this renewed focus on the Lord, remembering their God as they survey His greatness. And in verse 9, or verse 5 of chapter 9 is where we're going to start. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 5, in the second half of it, as they say, Arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Oh, may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. And then verse 6, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens. The heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, you give life to all of them. And the heavenly host bows down before them before you. I want you to notice some things we're to remember. First is this, remember that he's the all-powerful creator God, and don't you forget it. He is the all-powerful creator God. You alone are the Lord. You are unique Lord like none other. He's the incomparable God. You have no rival. You you have no equal. There, There is no one more powerful, no one more knowledgeable, no one more perfect, no one everywhere present. He is like none other. And so many times we get stuck thinking about our problem and this person and that situation, and God is saying, will you look up at me? I'm the great creator, almighty God. Will you just look to me and and, and stop focusing on these things that are so small and insignificant and look to me. I'm the great God. I am the magnificent creator, God. Look to me. And then they get specific. You've made the heavens with all the heaven, the heaven of heavens and all their host. In other words, will you look to creation? Will you look up at that sky? Or or to put it another way, we have five more weeks of winter. Enjoy it! Stop whining and complaining and bellyaching about the snow. Get out and enjoy. When's the last time you bundled up and went went for a walk in the woods and saw the splendor of the snow on the evergreens and a red cardinal sitting in that branch? When's the last time you got out in the snow and watched a little bunny or got out in the snow and watched a sunset? Get out in it and enjoy it and stop complaining and bellyaching about it. If you continue to play, complain and whine, may God give us another five feet of snow. <laughs> amen. By the, by the way, boy, I got more amens for that than I get for anything. Anyway, I, I took this picture over the Fox River a few weeks ago. Just that snow dog or that halo around the sun just setting over that frozen Fox River. Just beautiful. Get out and enjoy it. By the way, that only happens when it's cold out. Praise God for the cold. You get to see more of his splendor sometimes. He's made the heavens. Psalm 19.1, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanses declaring the work of his hands. He made the outer space heavens, Genesis 1, 16 through 18. He's made these two great lights, the sun and the moon, to govern the, the day and govern the night. And he made the stars also. Just look at those stars some night. Incredible splendor, all those twinkling, magnificent lights in the sky. By the way, Psalm 147, 4, he counts the number of the stars He gives names to all of them. Do you realize every star up there God has given a name to? He's got a name for every one of them. He's made the heavens. He's made the earth. It says here, the earth and all that is on it. 
Talk about a project. Only takes them six days to do it. The mountains, the prairies, the marshland, the meadows, the forests, the deserts, the animals, the birds, the reptiles, the insects, the plant life. Consider the creative, this vast creative mind of God. The colors of birds and shapes of reptiles and sizes of mammals and intricacies of insects and textures and hues of all the different plant life on this planet. And by the way, he spoke it into existence out of nothing. He spoke it into existence, ex nihilo, out of nothing. And I got to thinking about this this past week as I studied. And I concluded that if he made everything out of nothing, then it's nothing for him to handle everything. Let me say it again. If he made everything out of nothing, then it's nothing for him to handle everything. Your problem is so piddly to the creator God of this universe. He can handle it. It's nothing for the great, all-powerful God. Give him your problem. Seek his wisdom. Ask for his direction. He made the heavens. He made the earth. He made the sea, the seas and all that is in them, these vast reservoirs of incalculable amounts of water beyond the ability to fully fathom. And, And all the sea creatures, every sea creature imaginable in them, and they're still discovering more creatures every year they didn't even know about. It says he's the giver of life. You give life to all of them. They move and they breathe and they live and they thrive. This is your God. This is your heavenly Father. In verse 6, the heavenly host bows down to him. Whether that's the stars or whether that's the angels, they all bow down to him. Join in his creation and bow down to the greatness of our God. That's what we need to remember We need to remember that he's the all-powerful creator God. We need to remember that he's the ever-caring personal God. Verse 7 and 8 teaches this. It's not just all about his out-there, incredible, huge power. He cares about individual people. You, me, and this guy named Abram. You are the Lord God. You chose Abram, brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees, and you gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him. To give him the land of the Canaanite, of the Hittite, and the Amorite, of the Parasite, the Jebusite, the Girgashite. To give it to his descendants. I like how it starts off. You are the Lord God. This is present tense. You are right now and forever will be the supreme ruler over all. And by the way, you chose this guy named Abram. And he goes right down to the personal level. 75-year-old man, comfortable retirement years, and God says, you. I'm going to move you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to change you, I'm going to use you. And he chose him. And by the way, don't forget that God chose you. You who are his child, Ephesians 1, 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Verse 4 and 5, in love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. He chose you, he selected you, if you are his child context of his disciples in John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I what? I chose you and appointed you that you'd go and bear fruit. Now, before it goes to your head, yeah, God chose me. Uh Uh-huh. God chose us. Uh Uh-huh. Let me show you why he chose you. 1 Corinthians 1. Consider your calling, brethren. There weren't many wise. It wasn't because how you smart you are. It wasn't about your ACT score. Not many mighty. It wasn't because of how much you can bench press. There's not many noble, wasn't because of your bloodline. God has chosen the what? It just happened to be you were foolish enough. 
you were foolish enough, and then he says you were weak enough, and then he says you were base enough and despised enough. And then he says in verse 29, so that no man may what? He says, I get all the glory, not you. I take that which is nothing, and I make it something because I am everything. I take that which is nothing, and I make it something because I am everything. All glory goes to our God. No glory to us. He selects him and then he leads him. He brings him out of Ur the Chaldees. And this is where he was and this is where he goes. From Ur to Israel, from paganism to the promised land. Quite a trip for a 75-year-old guy. Just maybe wants to retire. And God says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to change this world through you. Let God do whatever he wants with you. Let him do it. Stop making excuses. God also leads us. He leads us spiritually out of darkness. Colossians 1.13, he rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Praise God. He led us out of darkness and into his kingdom where we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. He says, I saved you so that you'd open your mouth and start proclaiming my excellencies to the world. I didn't save you so you can get in your holy huddles and never tell anybody about me. He's saying, I want you to start proclaiming my excellencies at work. I want you to start proclaiming my excellencies in the neighborhood. I want you to start proclaiming my excellencies at school. I want you to start proclaiming the excellencies of your God. Wherever you are, start opening your mouth, God says. I saved you. Speak up for me. He says, you were not a people, now you are the people of God. You've not, you, were, you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. And then he gives them a new name and a new identity. You, you, from Abram, an exalted father, to Abraham, father of multitudes, looking to the future. God has also given us a new name, a new identity. John 15, we're no longer slaves, but God calls us what? Friends. It's amazing that God would look down upon you and me and say, we are friends. You're my friend. And more than that, 1 John 3, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called what? Children of God. And such we are. Beloved, now we are children of God. So, so he says, not only are you my friend, you're my child. You're my child. Verse 8, he tests Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you. He found him faithful. So it's not all bad news for the ancestors. They've got some who walk with God. And God recognizes loyalty and God recognizes integrity even when others don't. And God appreciates devotion and he appreciates faith even when others might mock your faith and might mock your devotion. God recognizes your loyalty and integrity. And God appreciates your devotion and faith. He takes note of it. And by the way, God still tests us today. He tests you. He tests me. He tests his children. Proverbs 17, 3, the refining pot is for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord, what does he test? He tests our hearts. I want you to understand what God does. He, he hooks you up to a heart monitor and puts all these things on you. Then he sticks you on the treadmill of life, and you start running on that thing. And every once in a while, he starts popping it and making it go even faster. He, he wants to see what you're made out of. 
He wants to see how you're going to respond to trials. He wants to see that elevated heart rate and what gets you going and how you respond when he makes you run a little bit faster and face a little bit more struggles in this life. He tests our hearts. Psalm 7, verse 9, Oh, let the evil and the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous. For the righteous, God tries the hearts and their what? And their minds. So in other words, now God puts these brain sensors and monitors on us. And, and, he, and he checks out what we think about. He checks out where our affections lie with our heart and where our thoughts lie with our heads. Psalm 11, verse 4 and 5, the, the Lord is the, in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His, his eyes behold, His eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. He, in other words, He looks out. He sees where we go. He watches what we do. He takes note of all these things. He is testing you, your heart. He is testing us, our minds. He is watching us. Understand that. Jeremiah 11, but O Lord of hosts who judges righteously, who tries the feelings and the heart. He, he, he checks out our feelings, our pulse. He watches I want to encourage you to pass the tests, to think right thoughts, to make sure your affections are in the right area, to make sure you're going where you should be going and avoiding where you should be avoiding, because God is testing us. He makes promises to this man, Abraham. He makes a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Jebusite and the Girgashite and the Mosquitobite. And that's just what he does, to give it to his descendants. He makes these promises, and this covenant includes land, and also to those who come after him. How good for the Israelites to remember this. They would have been discouraged, thinking about their past, but then they would have been encouraged, thinking how God, they were exiled to Babylon, he's brought them back. And maybe that's what's going on in your life. You feel like you've just been exiled, and God is just bringing you back. He's saying, I want you back where you need to be. Come back. Remember, he's the all-powerful creator God, the ever-caring personal God. Remember, he's the faithful promise-keeping God. Look at verse 8. You fulfilled your promises, for you are righteous. God always keeps his word. There's reassurance. Make no doubt about it. God is good on his word every single time. Joshua 21, 45. Not one of the good promises which the Lord God had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. Every single promise. Think about all the promises God has ever made in his word. 2 Corinthians 1.20, what does he say? For as many are the promises of God, no matter how many they are, in him they are what? Yes! Yes, God will fulfill them. Yes, God will keep them, whatever that promise is. Someone has actually counted 3,573 promises in the Bible. I want to encourage you to recount for me. Get back to me on that, okay? <laughs> promises are so important. That's one of the reasons why we give out promise books to anybody who visits. If you're a guest here, that's why the, the ushers hand, hold those up. That's a gift to you to encourage you with the promises of Almighty God. And, and for some of you, you, you haven't been in the Word like you should. You need to review his promises. You need to say, God, I need to be encouraged with your word. I need to read it. I need to understand it. 
I need to claim those promises. I need to stand on those promises. Why does God keep his word? Verse 8, you are righteous. God is reliable because God is righteous. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he, has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? I'm going to come through on my word, God says. You can count on it. Titus 1, 2, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. There is only one person who makes promises and forever and always keeps them and that is God. People will let you down. God will never let you down. Be encouraged. Never doubt him. And some of you know what it's like to have someone break a promise to you. It's very hurtful. It stabs your heart. And God wants you to know he will never break his promise. Ever. Never. You need to remember that. We also need to remember that he's the always aware rescuing God. We see this in verse 9 through 11. As all of a sudden we're, we're catapulted into Egypt. And the history of, of, of the Israelites in slavery and oppression. And it says, you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt. You heard their cry by the Red Sea. You performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all the servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly toward them and made a name for yourself as it is this day. You divided the sea before them and they passed through the midst of the sea on dry ground. And their pursuers you hurled into the depths like a stone into raging waters. It says here, you saw. It says here, you heard. He sees, friends, your affliction. He hears your desperate cries for help when no one else even hears or notices. When others ignore your pain, they close their eyes and they see right through you, they don't see you. When others walk away and disregard your cries or or just kind of downplay them, he hears you. He knows when you've come to a dead end or you're in this cul-de-sac of catastrophe and there's just no way out. And by the way, he takes note of your tears. He sees when you cry. And he also holds those tears. Psalm 56, 8. You've taken account of my wanderings. You know exactly where I am at all times. You've put my tears in your bottle. He captures those tears. Are they not in your book? He writes down what's taking place. I have a bad memory. Somebody tells me something, and if I don't write it down, whoop, it's gone. You know what God says? I take notice where you've wandered. I see exactly where you are at all times. I've captured your tears, and I put them in a bottle. I know what you're crying about. I know what you're going through. And I've written it in a book. He says, I've got it written down. I know exactly what you're facing. He says, you can count on me. I have not forgotten you. I see what you're going through. He hears these cries, and by the way, he hears the cries of all of his children. We read in the Psalms, 59 times in the Psalms alone, I cried, or I cry, or I called, or I called out to the Lord. Do you know what the Psalms are full of? 911 calls to God. That's what the Psalms are full of. And by the way, God has released those tapes to be listened to. You can listen to all the 911 calls of Scripture. 
Just go to the Psalms and listen, I cried to God and, and Lord, and help me and Lord, I'm overwhelmed. They're there. God says, why don't you go to the Psalms? I've released those tapes for you to listen to, to, to learn how to cry out to me, to, to learn it's okay to cry out to me, to see how I answer those cries for my children who cry out to me. He says, just cast it all on me. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. And these Israelites faced impossible situations. They were in Egypt. That meant they were in trouble. Hard life, oppression, slavery, no way out. Then it says in verse 9, they were by the Red Sea. They were by it, and they weren't getting through it. Again, a complete dead end, trapped with no hope. So what does God do? It says here in verse 10, you perform signs and wonders against Pharaoh and against his servants. Signs and wonders, what were they? Plague, 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 and plague. How many plagues did God send? Ten plagues. Almost as if to say, Pharaoh, get your greedy fingers off my children. And with each plague, like a hammer blow, he took it and he hammered each finger of Pharaoh until he had to let my people go. And he let him go. In other words, God knows how to convince the enemy to loosen his grip on his children. God knows how to loosen the grip of the enemy. You just trust him to do his work. He stands against those who are proud in verse 10. You knew they acted arrogantly. You want God against you? Be filled with pride. James 4, 6, God is opposed to the proud. 1 Peter 5, 5, God is opposed to the proud. You want God on your side? Be humble. Be humble before him. You want God against you? Be proud. Be arrogant. Let your ego get in the way. It may be why sometimes we don't see God coming through for us. God may be saying, I can't. I can't side with you when you're full of yourself. I can't side with you when when it's all about you. I actually stand against people who are proud, God says. If you want me on your side, you must be broken before him. He is all-powerful, we are not. And we must be humble before our great God. He exalts his name. You made a name for yourself as it is this day. In other words, God is not about promoting you or promoting me. He's about promoting himself. He is worthy of promotion. God does not want to promote men. Understand that. We are about promoting God, not about promoting ourselves. He delivers his people Verse 11, divided the sea. They passed through on dry ground. The pursuit you hurled into the depths of the sea like a stone into raging waters. And I love this. It's a picture of God delivering and leading his people on the front side and God defending uh, his people on the back side. He's saying, follow me through the sea. I'll protect you from the back. Follow me this way. I'm taking care of you and defending you. And he says, just follow me. I'm going to lead the way and I'll protect you from the back. And that's what he does. Old song by Don Moen, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He's the God of the impossible. Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, Lord God, behold, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power, by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Say that last phrase with me. Nothing is too difficult for you. 
and the Egyptians never touched a single Israelite again. They got pounded by these waves of fury. It says he hurled them into the depths like a stone into raging waters. I know what that's like. I grew up on the East Coast on the beach. I know what it's like to pick up a rock or pick up a shell, and as the big waves come in, just to throw it right into the waves. And I'll never see that shell or rock again. God says, that's what I did with those enemies. I took them, and I just tossed them into the raging waves, and they're done. It's the power of Almighty God. Remember, he's always aware and rescuing. Remember, he's the constantly present guiding God. Verse 12. Pillar of cloud, you led them by day. Pillar of fire by night to light the, them for them the way in which they were to go. They were never without guidance. 24 hours a day, always had guidance from God. All day long, pillar of cloud. All, day, all night long, pillar of fire. You are no different. 24 hours a day, God is there to lead. 24 hours a day, God is there to guide. Psalm 23, he leads me beside quiet waters. He guides me in paths of righteousness. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even through the valley of the shadow of death, we're all going there. We're all gonna walk through that valley someday unless the Lord returns in our life. And you know what he says? I will walk with you. You don't need to fear anything. I will walk with you. We're never without his leading. Psalm 139.8. If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the grave, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will lay hold of me. We are never, ever alone, even though we might feel alone. He says, you're never alone. Johnny Erickson Tata, quadriplegic since age 17, beautiful, committed, godly woman, recently sang a song called Alone Yet Not Alone. It was up for an Oscar nomination before they, they removed that. These are some of the words to that song. And I encourage you to go to YouTube and listen to Alone Yet Not Alone. I'm alone yet not alone. God's the light that will guide me home with his love and tenderness leading through the wilderness. And wherever I may roam, I'm alone yet not alone. Alone yet not alone, not forsaken when on my own. I can lean upon his arm and be lifted up from harm. If I stumble or if I'm thrown, I'm alone, yet not alone. He has bound me with his love. Watchful angels look from above. Every evil can be braved, for I know I will be saved, never frightened on my own. Why? I'm alone, yet not alone. And some of you feel very alone today. You feel abandoned. And God is saying, you're not alone. You are not alone. Remember that. Remember this also. He's the graciously communicating God. He speaks to us. He gives us his word. He gave the Israelites his word. In verse 13 and 14, you came down from Mount Sinai, Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws and good statutes and commandments so that you made known to them your holy Sabbath and laid down for them commandments, statutes, and law through your servant Moses. He came down and he spoke and he gave them. It was a gift to them. They had physical guidance so they didn't get lost in the wilderness and he gave them spiritual guidance so they didn't get lost in the world. God is saying, I've given you spiritual guidance. You have the map, the Bible, the word of God. Open it, read it, follow it. There's direction there for you. It's a gift from Almighty God. 
And he says these are just ordinances, morally right. They're true laws, accurate and exact. They're, they're good statutes and commandments. They're virtuous and righteous because some laws that are passed, they aren't just. Some laws that are passed are, are not true. Some laws that are passed are not good. Take, for instance, speed limit signs. I mean, come on, people. No, just kidding. God wants us to know His Word, His law, His statutes are always good. Always truth. Always right. And then there's one that's pointed out. He says, you made known to them your holy Sabbath. Of all the commands of God, of all the Word of God, He points this one out. He says, I want you to think about that Sabbath. I want to remind you, you need to get your rest. Because some of you don't, and you're wearing down because you don't get your rest. The Holy Sabbath, he says, I want to remind you that you need to be in worship. You may say, well, why are you talking to us? We're here. (laughs) Yeah, but maybe some of you haven't been consistently. And God is saying it needs to be consistent in your life. You need to set it aside as a priority to worship me. And, and then he says, he says, the word of God, it's a gift. He gave it through Moses, through this man. And, and I want to read a passage with you about the precious gift of God's word. And I want you to read along with me, Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11. And I want you to think on these words as we read them together about the word of God. Let's read them together. The law of the Lord is perfect restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Get into the Word of God and let God revive your soul through His Word. Remember that. Remember verse 15. He's the abundantly providing God. He provided bread from heaven and for them for their hunger and brought forth water from a rock for them for their thirst. And you told them to enter and in order to possess the land which you swore to give them. He says, I've given you the land and I brought forth water and I provided bread. And just think about the manna from heaven. Do you realize every single morning God made them breakfast? Every single morning except the Sabbath. And he gave them twice as much on the day before that. So they'd have food for that day too. Exodus 16, 21, they gathered it morning by morning. Every man as much as he should eat. And by the way, there was always enough for everyone. Exodus 16, 17, he who gathered much had no excess. He who gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. Every single person had the perfect amount to satisfy them. Every single family had the perfect amount. Every single day, God made them breakfast and gave them enough food for the day. As mentioned, the day before the Sabbath, twice as much in Exodus 16, 22, and 25. And, and, and you may say, well, what did it look like? What did it taste like? Manna from heaven. Exodus 16, 31, the house of Israel named it manna. It was like coriander seed, white. Its taste was like wafers with honey. God even said, I'll make it taste good. 
He could have made him eat sawdust. But he made it taste good. You may say, well, how long did he make them breakfasts? Huh, 40 years. 40 years he made them breakfast every day except the Sabbath. Exodus 16, 35, the sons of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came to the inhabited land and they ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And then when they entered into the land, they were able to feast off the land that God gave them. He provides for us. He takes care of you. He's not going to leave you without. Philippians 4, 19, my God will supply what? All your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. There's not a need that he's not going to provide for you. Hebrews 13, 5, he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. He says, all your needs will be taken care of. I am never going to forsake you. And that's why we're taught to pray in Scripture. Give us this day our what? Our daily bread. Remember these things. He's the all-powerful creator God. He's the ever-caring personal God. Faithful, promise-keeping God. Always aware, rescuing God. Constantly present, guiding God, graciously communicating God, and abundantly providing God. Remember your God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for focusing us once again on you, getting our eyes off of ourselves and our problems and other people. Thank you for this time to celebrate the table as well and the elements, once again to remember you. Heads are bowed. Just talk to the Lord right now. What truth has he revealed to you that has really just struck, struck a nerve and that God is teaching you? Talk to him about that. Maybe you just need to spend a moment and just worship him. Just thank him for the God that he has been and the God that he will always be. You may be here today and you've never received the Lord as your Savior. And he can take care of that greatest of all needs. That's why the Lord came to die on the cross for my sins and yours. And you may say, Scott, that's me. I I want God in my life. I need forgiveness. Well, in the quietness of your heart right now, I just invite you to call out to the Lord in faith. Just use words like these. Lord Jesus, I am desperate for your forgiveness. I'm, I'm a wicked sinner. And I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me that much. Lord, I place my faith in you to save me. I I can't save myself. Please save me. Please forgive me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you called out to the Lord, we'd love to just encourage you in that decision and talk to you about it. You can let a good Christian friend or family member know that you've called out to him or one of us here. You can also, in your bulletin, there's a...